Welcome to your new life blend. I'm Shoshana Hecht and we are live from Nepal. Okay, only my guest, Abby Fallick, is currently in Nepal, but can you tell? I'm so excited to be speaking with her today. A few months ago, Abby and her husband packed up their lives, took their two boys out of school, and have embarked on a global journey to travel and live around the world with their family. This kind of radical reinvention is what Abby is all about. As an award-winning social entrepreneur, she has been on a mission to radically reinvent our assumptions about higher education and what young adults learn. In 2010, Abby founded Global Citizen Year, a nonprofit that uses the transition after high school to teach some real, R-E-A-L, 21st century skills, resilience, empathy, agency, and leadership. In 2022, she joined the Emerson Collective as an entrepreneur in residence to incubate new models to transform how young people learn, launch, and lead. Using Global Citizen Year as a blueprint, she is on a mission to reinvent the gap year as an accessible, purposeful, and transformative rite of passage. I'm thrilled she's here to let us know how it's all unfolding, what she's learning, and of course how her family's own Global Citizen Year is going. Talk about your new life blend. Welcome, Abby. Thank you so much, Shoshana. I'm really very excited to be here. I'm excited you're here too. What time is it there? Big time difference for us. Yeah, it's 9 p.m. Nepal has this strange way of telling time that is 15 minutes ahead of India. I've never been to a place that has a flag that's not a rectangle, that has a time zone that is not standardized. It's 2079 in Nepal right now. So go figure. They've done their own thing and stuck to it. (laughs) Yeah, right. Really designing their own thing. Exactly. The theme of the show, the theme of what we're talking about, the theme of where we're talking about. That's incredible. I did not know that. I didn't until I was here. Sometimes you got to leave home to see more clearly. You really are in your own little vortex of something very unique right now on this journey. Yeah. Talk about radical choices, radical reinvention. How's it going? Tell us about this decision to pull everybody out of school, pull your lives, rent the house and go. My husband and I each independently and individually had dreamed of someday taking our future families on an adventure around the world. I'd been inspired because my parents in 1978 had quit their jobs, taken all their life savings and spent a year traveling before having kids. And I'm aware that that experience for them had everything to do with how they approached raising all of us. They believed that travel and experience outside of the classroom was the highest form of learning. And they taught us to value the same. And in many ways, my entire life has been oriented around how we can create opportunities for more and more diverse young people to have formative experiences in the world. And so I've always known their story in the background. My husband had a similar vision. And 2022, we found ourselves in the extraordinary and outrageously fortunate position of of being in transitions that allowed us to step back and say, hey, maybe now's the time. And there were a hundred thousand ways we could have talked ourselves out of taking the leap. And the wiser voices won. And we decided that this was the universe saying, here's the opportunity. Are you going to step through? And we did. So we pulled our boys out of school, packed a couple of carry-on bags, packed all of our gear into our attic and rented our house on Airbnb and set off on our own global adventure. And we are both already 
already halfway through and only halfway through, but it feels like we've lived a lifetime of experience already. It's so fun to follow your adventures and you take such gorgeous photos. So we'll definitely have a link to your Instagram for sure. And you have a website where you're tracking this visually and with some writing. It's really fun to follow along. You're so right. There's a million ways we could talk ourselves out of these visions we have for our lives when we can't do it. When the busyness of life, busy jobs, busy small children, it's one thing to be talking about, this is a value, we want to do this. But it's another thing to get some inertia to get to it. So I am impressed by that, I have to say. I think that one of my driving missions going forward is going to be helping people get unstuck from that belief that holds us back from shaking things up in a radical way. And obviously, there are often very real constraints in our lives. But a lot of the time, the constraints are actually in our minds. I am just so grateful that we somehow found the courage to say yes to the opportunity and to recognize everything that we learn once we leave the water we're swimming in. That we're able to see our lives so much more clearly from a distance. And particularly when we travel, we're stripped of what's familiar, of our routines, of our identities, of our patterns and our habits. And you're forced to reconstruct who you are in a new context. You get to meet yourself again on fresh terms with new eyes. And you're doing it while you're in the context of learning from how other people have decided to build a life. For me, this experience is about remembering that we all choose our choices and that when we forget that fact, we move along like excellent sheep following in line in lockstep and miss the opportunity to make the most of our wild and precious life. Our one wild and precious life, Mary Oliver, right? Inertia is so powerful. It's something I talk about all the time. What's simple is really to go along. It's easy. The quote that greets me when I open my computer, Joseph Campbell, it says, if the path is clear, you're probably on someone else's. Now that's the path of least resistance. That's the easy straight away. That's continuing one foot in front of the other. But when we can look up from the waterline and expand our sights to a new horizon, we see how much more possibility exists. And we're in a position to be in the driver's seat of crafting our own life. I always come back to one of my favorite coaching questions, what more is possible for me in this life? Mm, beautiful. Oh, I love that. I love that. One of my favorites is what are you pretending not to know right now? which stops me in my tracks, it can get to that wiser voice inside that we often can rationalize ourselves away from hearing or listening to. But there's often a deeper knowing that may well have to do with what more is possible for us. So maybe there's something at the intersection of those questions. I am obsessed with juicy, potent, revolutionary questions. In fact, I've started writing a book premised on the questions that we all should be asking now, but that we're not. The ways that we frame our questions is how we frame our culture and our lives and our destiny in so many ways. I think about how we ask kids what they're going to be when they grow up, as opposed to asking them who they want to become. Or you ask them where they're going to college, not why. Are you going to school? We say, what's your major? We don't say, what's your mission? We say, what do you do? Meaning, what do you do for work? We don't say, what enlivens your spirit and what brings you joy? And this journey for us of leaving the context of Silicon Valley and fast-paced California life is just getting us back in touch with all the different rhythms and forms that can constitute a life and that we have so many more degrees of freedom. 
freedom than we ever give ourselves the opportunity to explore. Wow. So many powerful punches in that. I want to go a million directions. I'm yours. Lead me. Yeah. We're going to go a variety of ways. I want to get to like your drivers, your why, what's important to you and your family and what you're trying to give your specific family, your viewpoint about what's important. And there's also this thing that's just buzzing a little bit for me, which is like, who can do this? This is not for everybody. Not everybody can do this. Okay, and also impact, why this matters and what it means for society at large. Which one of those do you want to go with? Let's, let's dive into the last one. Since yeah. the recency impact. effect, it's still yeah. in my mind. Yeah, I can't imagine anything more important or impactful for the world than helping humans know their power, their agency, their ability to be free within whatever constraints we find ourselves, particularly at a time when social media and big tech hijacks our attention and does their very best to take our agency and ability to think for ourselves from us in an era when we're continuing to send young people in lockstep through checking boxes, collecting gold stars, and then credentials without ever encouraging anyone to step back and consider, well, who am I really when I'm not performing for somebody else? Who are my teachers when they're not assigned to me? What is the curriculum I choose to follow when it's not in the book? What matters to me and why is the first question. Who am I? What are the bright spots? What's needed is the second set of questions. Go out into the world and explore what breaks your heart. There's information for us in that. And then once we've got a clearer sense of who I am and what the world needs, then you're listening to your life. Then you can find something at the intersection that says, and here's how I'm going to contribute. Here's how I can apply my unique abilities to the world in a way that it needs. And so when you ask about impact, it's not clear to me that we can impact the world or deliberately bend the arc of the future unless we are releasing young people to their own agency to craft their lives and their paths on purpose. Amen. What can I say? I definitely grew up where it wasn't, are you going to college? Where are you going to college? Right. 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 My brother and I were definitely college kids. We were ready for it. But I look around at kids, especially what's gone on recently with the pandemic. But before that, I worked as a therapist in LA for 10 years and mostly with teens, young adults and their families, and noticed that a lot of those kids were not ready. In fact, I worked with a lot of kids who went and came home and then had to work through whatever they were working through to then grow in different ways. And so this idea that there's one path for everybody and that's the right path, I don't get it. Yeah. And also, I'm not sure that even on that one path that we're really prepping our kids to live in the world. And in fact, I think on that path to excel and perform and win requires a certain type of conformity perfection, relentless hustle without pause. It by design does not create the space to do more than run on that treadmill, maybe running harder and faster and increasing the incline. But what about the skills that are needed to step off and actually climb the mountain? And I am totally convinced that we should not set kids from 12 years in a classroom context straight into more school until they've had time to step out of that context far enough to be able to see through their own eyes, to let the noise of everybody else's expectations and pressures on them begin to clear so that they can orient. I think we send kids sprinting on a track before they've actually decided what they're aiming for. The big believer that when we have a compass, we don't need the map. And that when we're heads down following the map, 
we are not as concerned or careful about where we may end up. And also, if you get lost, you may not know. If you don't have the map, you don't know how to get back on. There's a sense of deeper gut level instinctual orientation that I think is a birthright. It's not just a privilege to figure out what you're here for or what calls you and enlivens your spirit that every human on earth is capable of finding that thing. And I think we live at a time when it's possible to unlock that in so many more young people than we do. I often say that I think one of the biggest gifts we can give our kids is the ability to solve a problem, to trust in themselves that they can figure it, with air quotes, out, whatever it is. And I'm not sure that having to pass tests and get certain grades and hit metrics is the way. I think it trains a set of behaviors that can get in the way of being creative, resourceful, problem solving, of even knowing what you're curious about when it's not on the test. I just remember so clearly sitting in a college lecture hall and somebody says, hey, will this be on the test? As though the answer to that question determines whether or not you should pay attention. But the robots can pass the tests already anyway. So what are we really doing in the classroom or in a lecture hall where somebody's spouting knowledge from the front? The lecture hall is configured like that because there used to be one book. Somebody would read from the book. But now you've got a classroom full of kids who are sitting with the world's information in their pocket. And then ChatGPT can answer the essay question to pass the exam anyway. So one of the questions that I am urging us all to ask is to step back and say, what do today's kids most need to learn? And how do we redesign the systems around those things? Now, this is not going to be tinkering at the edges. We're putting a little bit more public funding to increase test scores by 1%. We actually need to step back and say, how do we redesign the systems for today's world? at the heart of that. And what I hear you saying is how do we actually grow curious humans Yeah, who are really interested in grappling with questions and not just having the answers? When you're curious, you teach yourself to problem solve. You learn how to learn. You know what it feels like to chase down information because it has some intrinsic value to you and what you care about. But without curiosity, we become the effect of the institutions around us and what they're trying to cram into our brains. Okay, I have to ask because I'm super curious. This is lifelong mission for you. You and Joel, this is the vision for the family and really the vision of a lot of your work. It's a driver for you on so many levels. How did the pandemic change or affect your mission so 2020, as COVID was becoming known and clear how serious an issue it was going to be globally, we were about to welcome our 1,000th Global Citizen Year fellow home. So Global Citizen Year is a nonprofit that I founded in 2010 to recruit and support really exceptional young people in having a transformative global year between high school and what comes next. And over that decade, through a prestigious fellowship, supported 1,000 kids in formative experience. 80% of them received financial aid, and they came from all across the U.S. and eventually around the world. And the impact on their lives lives and trajectories blows me away. I just got an email this morning from a fellow from our very first class who is back in Senegal now, 10 years later, completing her dissertation research in the same community where she lived as a fellow. And it just blows me away to see both how this experience shapes their interest, but even more so how it shapes their curiosity, their conviction, and their courage. I'm super curious about how the pandemic impacted your mission broadly. Also, I'm wondering if it impacted the urgency of your mission and what it brought for you in 
terms of your view of the work? I love that question. And I am asking myself daily, have I and have we collectively taken full advantage of the opportunity that COVID presented? There is power in a pause. It was a collective slowdown globally. This has never happened in any of our lifespans. And I remember there was a piece that Arundhati Roy had written about the pandemic as a portal, describing that pandemics historically become these portals that humans walk through and you choose what to carry. Do you drag your carcasses and smoky skies or do you let that go and walk through lightly, looking to a new horizon? It was a terrible paraphrase, but it's a beautiful notion. And so from the outset, I remember reading that and thinking, can I let this experience change me? So going from traveling between one and two weeks a month, sometimes internationally, to being home all the time. Our whole team was working remotely. We were delivering remote programming. Everything shifted. Life got smaller. And what we focused on was more in front of us. It was more tangible and more concrete, often, not always, a bit slower. And I think as I felt things starting to pick up again in 2022, I had a little voice in my head saying, too fast, too fast slow it down. And it was really clear that I had not yet learned the lessons that COVID could have taught me about a better and more wholesome and wise pacing. So that's personally, and I do think in many ways, COVID and just the reminder of our mortality and the ways that the world has never changed this quickly, but it'll never change this slowly again, was part of how Joel and I looked at each other and said, if not now, when? The world is opening up for some travel and let's just take advantage of it. That was the personal, and I feel like it was definitely a catalyst for saying yes to this opportunity to travel. In terms of the work I care most about, I think what's thrilling is to see the acceleration of trends that were already starting to glimmer around the edges of people questioning the traditional paths, the time and value and cost of a higher education. We're now at a point that 50% of high school students question the value of college. And the most selective schools, or I'll call them the most rejective schools, their applications are breaking records every year. And most other schools are struggling to enroll a class because young people and their families are reasonably asking about the return on that investment. And about the value proposition of spending four years in a classroom learning things that you may have been able to learn virtually. So I think there's a moment where we're all able to step back and say, these systems weren't working. The consumers or students are going to put pressure on them either to radically transform themselves to catch up to what's needed in the 21st century, or they'll go out of business and new models will arise. And so what excites me now is this collective opportunity to say, hey, we could redefine that life stage. We don't need to just fall back into the way things were done because it's the way we've always done them. Let's rethink in a radical way what the experience of becoming an adult can look like. How could we normalize a global rite of passage that teaches young people what they most need to learn as they move from dependence to independence, from childhood into adulthood, and begin the rest of their lives in a way that matters? Amazing. I was very busy during the pandemic because I was already working from home. So things did slow down in that I wasn't out the travel and the being with people that all slowed down, but it was extremely busy. So I am one of the people who relate to the pause. And in many ways, I feel fortunate about that. I was pandemic well. My family and I were safe. My husband came home for work. And so I always want to name the privileged side of having been pandemic well. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. And my life did not actually slow down internally either in any way, but it was more 
more of a disjuncture for everybody, where something dramatic shifted. All of our lives changed. The ways that we operated were no longer available to us, and that impacted some people for the better, most people not, and very inequitably as well. If you look through history, it's punctuated by these inflection moments where everything changes. And so this is the question we can be asking now is, how did I let that experience change me? What am I carrying? And then societally, what has it revealed about some truths that we're pretending not to know about the way that we've always done things? That's right. This podcast and a workshop called Your New Life Blend that I created were all about trying to help anyone who wanted to participate in it think what more was possible for their lives and how did they take the learnings. Some of them were welcome, many not, but how did we take what happened to us, for us, in our lives, and how do we integrate so that we could go about being different? Because so many people were starting to, as the world was reopening, having that experience that you touched on, which was, I liked the pace. But I also miss my people and miss doing things. And so we would throw ourselves back in. And then all of a sudden we're like, I don't know how to be in the world. I don't know how to go outside. What are hard pants? All the things, all the jokes, right? I've always coached how do you design your life, but it felt super urgent. Here's the other urgency. I've spent my entire professional life working in the social impact sector, often for nonprofits. And this way of operating has constrained our ability to actually move needles on the biggest social problems. The urgency I feel is breaking out of some of those constraints, the definition of nonprofit, for-profit, public sector. Those sectors need to blur. We need innovators who are crossing these sectors and driving amp ambitious, audacious levels of resources to scaling what works to the size of what's actually needed. So it's a roundabout way to say my sense of urgency to play as big as I can and to inspire inspire others to envision futures that are possible, but only if we can name them and not make ourselves small in their midst. That's one of the things that I got was feeling like if it feels too small, it is. We need to all be inhabiting our full ability if we're actually going to outpace the challenges. It takes me back to what you said, what am I pretending not to know? What am I pretending not to know? Or what am I masking? Or what do I say like, oh, that's so hard. Well, what's hard? What are we pretending not to know? Is it how powerful we really are? Is it that some of the constraints are of our own making? Is it that hustling at 10x the pace on the same path doesn't actually get us any further? That if you want 10x impact, you actually need to create a whole new operating model for whatever it is you're trying to do. So so the way I would use the power of the pause is anytime we're able to create that space between an experience and our reaction to it, between waking up in the morning and launching into our day, between one job and the next, between a pandemic and what happens next, there is such power in being able to choose our response when we don't blindly, robotically just presume what happens next. That's the vehicle, right? This is what we have. We can't control what comes our way. That's the truth about life. Waves keep coming. So it's like, what do we do in response? And how do we get out of reactivity and get into a more thoughtful and less patterned, less, like you say, robotic? Yeah. And it's patterned. It's like a fractal. It's the space between one breath and another. It's the space between a day and next. It's taking a digital Sabbath, which I try to do religiously, but not religiously on Saturdays. And typically I've taken a week every year 
year for a silent meditation retreat, which is another version of a reset. And then in some form, this is our year out this decade. But how do we recognize the importance of those transitions and that in each of them, something has ended, something new will begin, but you've got to give yourself space and time to move through that transitional spirit period if it's not just going to be a reflexive continuation of where you were. Right. Big, audacious, radical change. What's next? Where are you going with it all? And how is what you're doing with your family informing it? But yeah, what's coming? Well, I am convinced again and again and again that the highest form of learning has very little to do with classroom learning. And watching my boys in school in Nepal and in Mexico and Patagonia has really helped me see that when you leave your comfort zone and need to see yourself through others' eyes and really stay longer and go deeper in other contexts, it reorients what you care about and what you're learning about yourself in the world. So that I feel conviction around as I have, but it's just reinforced now. So I am beginning to build again. I'm writing a book. I'm working on a TV show and all in this same theme of how do we help young people in this critical life transition find the courage to make more authentic choices about their lives. And I am beginning to envision a network of global leadership academies that will catch young people from around the world and support them through these transformative learning journeys. And it's thrill to get to be entrepreneurial again and connecting dots and beginning to envision a very bold new future that I know is possible. And that is the path that I'm on. Amazing. I can't wait to see it unfold. How are the kids doing? You have some family rules for this journey, which I've read several times and adore, so you could share them. But I'm curious on the personal level, they look like they're having fun on Instagram, but how's it going? I think they've never been happier, to be honest. In many ways, we just lucked out with the ages that they are and that it coincided with the time we were able to do this. They're six and eight right now. And I think even a few years later than this, they would have been so attached to their friends in Oakland. It would have been hard to pull them out of school. But right now, they are just game for all of it. They have been super resilient, totally gung-ho, making new friends wherever we find ourselves. It also helps that they have each other and they are definitely each other other's besties. But I think some of the sweetest things I've seen are the ways that kids can communicate without necessarily having common language. So my younger son is obsessed with the yarn arts. <laughs> so he's bringing his yarn and his weaving and his friendship bracelets everywhere he goes and attracting attention and teaching other kids to knit. And then my older son's obsessed with his Rubik's Cube and his chess set. And similarly, you can break that out in a park anywhere in the world and you find your people. So we've been learning about Esperanto which was the created language in Europe between the world wars. The idea being if people could learn to speak the same language, maybe they'd stop fighting each other. Not that many people have actually learned Esperanto, but I think that there are lots of equivalents in things we can carry with us as we move through the world that help us move beyond perception and projection and into real relationship with other humans. What are the ways that we can meet each other where each other is and really see and understand each other? What are the little bridges? Language, Rubik's Cube, knitting. All of it. And on and on and on and on it goes. That's right. And on it goes. Yeah. 
halfway through, Abby. I can't believe that you're halfway through. When we were first trying to book this, it doesn't feel that long ago. But yeah. okay, here we are. You're halfway. I know. That was I the know. beginning of your journey. I can't wait to continue following along. Let us know where everybody else can find you and follow along with your journey and connect with you. Best for now is Instagram. I am at Abby Fellick and also on LinkedIn and more on the new ventures to follow. Amazing. Can't wait for that. Thank you so much for being here. We'll chat again down the road about the new ventures. But this has been your new life blend. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Abby, for being here. I'm Shoshana Hector, host, reminding you, as ever, to be gentle with yourself.